But we're in, the, we're in this weird kind of place today where, you know, I hear from more and more parents where they just feel like they don't have any say over what their child or their teenager does. And it's, it's kind of weird to me. This is what Edward, the Duke of Windsor, had to say about America. This was more than 50 years ago. He said, the thing that impresses me most about America is the way the parents obey their children. And that's kind of profound. This was 50 years ago, and things have progressed since then. So today we're going to look at this idea of training a child. And, and we want to fight to do this the right way because there is so much at stake, right? There's so much at stake. Um, I introduced my son last week to you, Jacob. He just turned 19 last Sunday. And he probably gets picked on the most because he's the firstborn. So yay for him. Um, those of you that know Jacob probably know him to be a, a fine young man, and he's just, he's, he's a great, I want to say kid, but he's really not a kid anymore. He's, he's 19, and he's an adult, but there were times when he was growing up where his mom and I weren't so sure how he was going to turn out. He was the most stubborn and strong-willed kid, I think, that ever existed on the face of the planet, and I know some of you guys probably think your kids might be like that too, right? But he, he was stubborn. And just as an example, he was, you know, probably just barely walking. And, and Justin and I would put him down for naps. We'd try to put him down. We'd take him to his room, put him in his bed. And he would not stay in his room. He would not. He'd come out. We'd put him back in there. He'd come back out. And we'd try. We'd probably, like, swat at him a little bit and put him back in there. He would not. He just kept coming out. Like, come on, kid. You are dense. So he just keeps coming out. So, so finally, we, we got, you know, those baby gates? And we put a baby gate in front of his door thinking this will solve the problem. He just climbs right over it, comes right back out. It's like, so we thought we were smart. We get a second baby gate. We put one on the bottom, and then we put one right on top of it. Like his whole door is walled in a gate. He kicks the bottom door out, and he comes right back out. And we're getting kind of frustrated. We're getting kind of angry. So then we thought we could do these hook and eye locks, you know, the, the, the hook on your door, and you lock them so the door doesn't open. So we thought, that is going to keep him in there, and it did. But what he did was he would lay on his back right up against the door, and he would kick that thing as hard as he could and scream for hours, for hours. And he, he was scary, and it was at, <laughs> it was, I, I was literally scared. But I was at this point where I was thinking, I'm going to have to break him in order to make him submit and make him to respond. I would have to break his spirit. You know, like, you guys have been in the, the military, you know, the drill sergeants, like, their idea, their, their job is to kind of break you down and break your spirit so that they can rebuild you into a soldier, right? And I thought I was going to have to do the same kind of thing with him, so I began to rule our house with an iron fist, and that's how I, I controlled Jacob, I controlled his brothers, and they knew that if they did something wrong, they would face the wrath of their dad, they would face his wrath, and they were scared. And I'm not proud about this, and, and Jess and I weren't on the same page with this. So this was the beginning of some pretty significant marital conflict in our marriage. And you might hear some of that at a different time. But I remember uh, with Jacob, there was a time we were coming back from a vacation, and we were in the car, and I don't know what the problem was, I don't know what the deal was, but he was having a tantrum right? And just would not stop. I don't know. We tried, tried to calm him down, trying to settle him down, and I just could not take it anymore, and I just kind of blew up. 
and I swerved off under this exit. I pulled into the parking lot of a McDonald's, and I took him out of the car by his ear. I brought him into the bathroom, and I dropped his pants, and I, in rage, I, like, spanked his butt. And it wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a good thing. Like, he remembers that. And that damaged something in the father-son relationship. And all of that kinds of stuff, it damaged that. So I'm not proud of him. And, you know, in spite of how I parented, in spite of all of this, I'm so grateful to God for what he has done. And all of my boys, I think they're growing up to be just great young men. But it's God's grace that did that. And I'm so grateful to him for that. But it was his grace that did that. But even today when I, when I look at Jacob, and I, I'm well up with pride at, at who he's become, there's a part of me that wonders if I broke him. If I broke his spirit, if I broke a piece of him that God meant to stay. And that still bothers me today. So we're in week three of fight. Uh, last week, we started to, to take a look at, at parenting. And, and as we parent, I think even just as, natu- as human beings, it's, our tendency is to look and focus on an immediate issue up front. We get fixated on this issue, Right? And so last week we took the lens and we zoomed way out and we tried to look at the bigger picture because sometimes we miss well, what our role is in guiding our children. We miss the overall picture. So a couple takeaways from last week is we want to fight for perspective. And that's something that isn't really easy to do. We want to fight for perspective because our culture is going in a different way and, and we recognize that our children are not our own. They belong to God. They are with us for a very short season. And they're eternal. So we are simply stewards of our children. And God entrusts them to us for a season to train them and to guide them. And our most important job is to prepare them for the day when they will come face to face with their maker and have to give an account of their life. That is our number one job. And from Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are commanded to love God and to teach our children to do the same. And the biggest way that we train our children, whether we like it or not, is through our example, through our actions. They watch what we do, and our actions speak louder than words. So if we're not following after God, and if we're not obedient, seeking to live a godly life, the chances of our kids growing up to live a godly life are pretty slim. They're pretty slim. And if we are disobedient and don't obey the one that we call Lord, our kids are going to be less likely to submit to our authority because we don't submit to ours. You know what I'm saying? So it starts with us. We're the example. Proverbs 22.6 instructs us, train up a child in the way he should go. And you know, Scripture doesn't, there's so much stuff that Scripture doesn't say. I wish it would just give us a list of exactly how to do this stuff, but it doesn't. So we don't know exactly how that training should look like, but the command is clear. God instructs us to train our children. And yet our culture is on a completely opposite course, isn't it? According to to New York Magazine, there's this crazy thing that has begun. It's called the rise of babies. Have you heard of that? The rise of babies. Parents are now intentionally raising their children without assigning gender. They don't believe in a strict either-or, male or female. They don't believe in that biblical standard. And they don't want to gender stereotype their children, so they don't tell anybody what their child's gender is. And they want them to be able to figure it out on their own. They want their child to figure out and just 
whatever they feel like. That's what they are. And I saw something just this week where, where people are advocating that parents ask their babies, ask their babies if they can change their diaper. Like, what in the world? Like, the baby does not understand a word. And so this woman is on there, and she's suggesting that if, if the baby's crying or just doesn't seem to, be, seem to be in this happy, compliant mood, that we just wait to do that until they're, they're ready for it. I'm like, are you serious? And that probably seems preposterous to most of us, but there's a growing number of people who are letting their children run the family. And everything revolves around the children. You don't say no to the children. You just let them do whatever they want to do. But that's not what the Bible says. Parents, it is your job to lead your children, not the other way around. Not only do you have permission to do that according to the Bible, but you are instructed to, to teach and to train. They need your direction and guidance. They need you to teach them healthy boundaries. They need you to teach them of God's love and who they are. Who they are. And if part of their identity is from you as their mom and dad, but the biggest part of their identity is from God. God dictates our identity, and they need to know that. It's our job to train them. Now, I'm going to look at this again. I know we talked about dog training a little bit last week. And I, I just think it, it's good because kids are kind of like animals, right? They can be. So, so I got this from watching my parents. My parents have three dogs. Three dogs, which I think is absolutely insane. I think they're crazy. But I love them, and they're great. But one of the things that I've noticed is that when they have a puppy, they can find the puppy to a small space until it learns proper behavior until it learns its boundaries, what it is not supposed to do or what it's allowed to do. And over time, as they learn this, the boundaries start to extend so that the dog can be trusted, right? And some of us as parents, we do the opposite in a sense, where when our children are little, we give them wide and free range to do whatever they want. Uh, we don't say no. We, if they're screaming for something in the Walmart checkout aisle, we'll get it for them because we don't want them to, to get angry. And then when they get older and they realize that as they start doing other stuff, we realize the consequences for their actions are kind of becoming a little scary, right? So our tendency then is to start putting restrictions on them, putting barriers on them. And then naturally, if they're used to having this, used to being able to do whatever they want, and now you're putting restrictions on them, they're going to rebel. They're going to rebel. And so I think we can help the dog thing, whether it's a bad example or not, it's helpful in helping us understand this. And I think a natural place for this is in the realm of technology, which is at the top of almost every parent's frustration list because they cannot get our kids off of technology. Tablets, computers, television, right? And the, the thing with this is, is that they make an amazing babysitter. They're so good. You just put them in front of a TV for a few hours or give them a tablet, and you have freedom. You can do whatever you want. And it's so nice. And then it starts to shift when, when they get older. But the thing is, if we do this, it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous because we're just beginning to understand how technology is having some very negative long-term effects on us. And it's not healthy to do that. We're not training our kids. So I'm not saying that this is bad. Don't ever do it. There's a time where I think, yeah, that's good, but we don't want to default to that. We want to, we want to train. So when we train, it's better to start out with restrictions and reward our kids for making good decisions, slowly letting the boundaries extend. 
right? But in that process, we also want to allow them to make mistakes. That's important. They need to make mistakes. And for you helicopter parents out there who try to protect your kids from everything, stop it! Stop it! They need to know natural consequences. We can't protect them from everything. Failure is crucial to learning. Yeah, it's painful. Nobody wants to see their kids get hurt, but isn't it better for them to learn the consequences now when the consequences are kind of minor and they have you for protection than when they're off in the world and they don't have that and they just do a bunch of stupid stuff and there's nothing we can do about it? It's better for them to learn consequences now. It's better for them to, to not believe that they're great at everything so that they can better adapt to the real world. We don't get a participation trophy for getting a job, do we? And now through this, so as they fail, our job then is to guide them, is to encourage them, to affirm them, to, to guide them. And I told you so, or belittling or nitpicking everything they do isn't going to help. That's where we want to come along and encourage them, not tell them they're stupid for doing this. We want to help pick them up and put them on the right path because it produces scars. It wounds when we do that. Many of us today have scars from things that others have done to us, maybe our parents, and some of us have scarred other people, and maybe our our kids. Many of us have regrets for things that we've done or how we've handled things over the years. And I know I do. I shared earlier how I tried to break Jacob's spirit, and I ruled our home Throwing around my power and authority. Jacob was, he was 12, not quite 13, when I began to start shifting and I realized that there was, there was a better way to do this. So Zach was 11, Noah and Riley were 9. And again, I'm, I'm grateful for God's grace in all of this. And I'm grateful for the timing because if it didn't happen, if that shift didn't happen when it did, it would have been a lot more difficult to repair. And even when it did, It took years to fix. It took years to undo a lot of the damage that I had done, that I had done to our family. And there probably is still some damage yet that we won't see and maybe we won't ever know. But it took years for them not to be afraid of me when they did something wrong. Years. And they would tell their mom when when they did something, they said, please don't tell dad. Please don't tell dad. And years, and that's just, that just, that broke me. That hurt because I was trying to live a different life. I was trying to do this a better way. And it it just took a long time. So I want to share a couple things that have helped me over these years in in parenting and trying to rebuild some of those relationships with my boys. But before we get into some specifics, I want to look at Scripture because it's going to help ground us in God's truth and character. And that's where we always want to lead from. We want to lead from Scripture. So last week we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll love God with all your heart and then lead and teach our families to do the same. And we do this by example. And in our training, the Bible instructs us to use a dirty word. You know what that word is? Somebody said it before. It starts with a D. I. Discipline. Discipline. Yeah, that has a bad connotation in a large part of today's world, and I think that a large reason for that is because we've abused it. 
I know I've abused it. But discipline is a part of God's plan. Look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 3. He says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline, and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. That's kind of powerful. Did you catch that? The Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Contrast that with this. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. And those who love their children care enough to discipline them. So if you don't discipline, Scripture says that you hate your child. And make no mistake, discipline is necessary for great parenting. It's necessary for great parenting. It's a necessary component of loving your child because that's going to help them. It's going to help them grow. It's going to train them. And it's going to help them learn the world around them and understand. Yet admittedly, we can go off the deep end with these scriptures, can't we? And we can use these scriptures to justify some pretty harsh and unloving ways to discipline our kids. So there's a counterbalance to this. There's a statement that Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians church. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And discipline from the Lord is correction that is driven by love. By love. It's correction not because we are powerful parents, but it is driven by our heart to love our children. And when we talk about love, we need to go back to Scripture again because the world defines love as a feeling that you get. And Scripture says something completely different, doesn't it? And realize that as we read this, this is God's heart toward us. God is love. This is how Paul defined it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And you know, I could meditate, I think, on this for the rest of my life and still be trying to grasp this, the, the fullness of this definition and what it means and how we live. But love is the lens through which training and discipline come from. And for me in this, it's so helpful to look at the person of Jesus. Isn't it? I look at the person of Jesus to help guide me in how to love well because I want love to be the motivation for everything that I do. And I'm not there. I'm not there. I think I've come, I've made some progress, yay me, but I'm not there. But here are a few things that have really helped me with my kids, and hopefully I think they'll help some of us too. There was something that I heard about six years ago that stuck with me. I'll never forget it. I was watching a Father's Day simulcast, right? And there's this guy named Stephen Kendrick on it, and he's talking about parenting, about being a father. And he, in this talk, he said this. He said, don't lose their hearts. Don't lose their hearts. And you know, this was so eye-opening for me. It like blew me away because I recognized I couldn't just be so focused on the media issue anymore. I had to look at the long-term relationship. I had to try to keep my boys' heart through their entire life. And that had to change the way that I disciplined them. 
It forced me to protect our relationship above everything else. And I learned that if I can hold their hearts, not only is it better for that relationship, but they're also much more trusting of me. They know my heart. They know that I'm for them. And because of that, I have much more influence in their lives because they know that I'm looking out for their best interest. We have moments sometimes where we still kind of disagree on some things. But they trust me. And even if they don't completely understand, even if I don't completely understand, but I have this feeling I'm just not cool with it, they are much more willing to accept that because they trust me. So I went from being a strict disciplinarian to more of a teacher. And that doesn't mean that I didn't use discipline in the process. It just looked very different. It looked very different. I learned that I could not discipline when I was angry. That wasn't good. I had to wait and cool down until I could look at things more objectively. And I might have sent them to their room for a while so I could cool off. And eventually I would make their way to their room. And they'd be on their bed. And I would come and I would sit on their bed. And I would look them in the eye. And I would walk through exactly what they did and why it was wrong. I might examine their heart a little bit, trying to find out why they did that. Because that is a big clue to how you want to discipline but in that, depending on what they said and what happened, sometimes nothing would happen. That would be enough. We'd have a talk. But sometimes there would be punishment. There would be discipline involved that would involve maybe grounding. It might involve spanking. And the thing was, like, this totally changed my heart towards my kids because this hurt me. It hurt me to do that. I could see tears in their eyes. There were tears in my eyes, and, and I didn't want to spank in that moment. I didn't want to do that, but I did it anyway to discipline. So as much, it was in love. And after we did that, after, if I spanked them, if that's what it called for, I would come back and I would reaffirm them. I would encourage them. I would tell them that I love them. I would not withhold my love. And sometimes we'd pray together. Oftentimes we'd pray together. And that just, it changed everything. And I'll be honest, I stumbled a lot. And I still do. I've erupted in anger. I've said things I wish I could have taken back. Um, just in the, in the past month, about a month ago, I had a confrontation with one of them about doing the dishes. Doing their chores. And I was kind of... I tend to be passive-aggressive when I'm angry. And I just kind of say things not real direct. Sometimes I don't know how to deal with stuff. So that's just... That's, and that's not really good. So I was kind of passive-aggressive, and I went in the other room, and I started doing the dishes myself, trying to really, I was going to guilt them, because Dad's now doing the dishes. And in this, I could hear him and Jess kind of talking, and I hear him making a bunch of excuses. And that made me angry. So I, like, I go in the other room, I storm in there, I call him out for making excuses, because they were garbage. And then in the middle of that, I said, you want to go a few rounds? And I'm like, as I did this, like, where did that come from? I don't even talk like that. I don't. Like, that was just bizarre. Like, the devil made me do it. But here's the thing. I have gone, you know, I have times like this where I, I do stupid stuff. And I've gone to my boys and all of this stuff. And I have humbled myself. And I've apologized to them for my behavior. I've, I've repeatedly asked for their forgiveness, acknowledging what I did was wrong or how I handled something was wrong. And I might, I might share my heart or what was going on with me at the time, not to make excuses, but just to share that and how I'm, I'm struggling and I'm trying to do the right thing. 
And there's something that's so powerful in that. There's something that is so powerful in that. We see eye to eye, and sometimes we're both crying, and it's ridiculous, and it's just kind of the messy thing, but it's, it's so powerful. And it can be some of the most incredible and life-giving moments I think we've ever had and have, that we've connected has been in those moments. And this was part of, of me teaching them. It wasn't okay when dad reacted a certain way. It wasn't okay that dad responded this way. Not only do I want to talk the talk, I want to walk the walk, and I want to lead by example. And when I stumble, I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to admit that. This doesn't mean that they get a pass on what they did. They don't get a pass on what they did. We will talk through that. And we're going to talk about that and we're going to figure that out. But in all of this, I don't want to lose their hearts. They're my boys. I love them to death. I'm proud of all of them and I don't want to lose that relationship with them. It changes the picture, you guys. It changes the picture. And moms and dads, it's okay to humble yourself in front of your kids. They know you're a screw-up. They know you do things wrong. But it says something very different when you admit it to them versus when you just act like everything is okay and you're right. It's very different. Admitting, asking for forgiveness. And I think that's one of the most helpful lessons that we can teach our kids when it comes to relationships. Love is not proud. And here's another thing. When we correct our kids, we can be really good at shaming them and making them feel really bad about what they've done. And I remember when I was a dad, and like I would shame them and make them feel bad for hours afterward. And I thought that's what I had to do in order to make them feel bad enough so that they would change their behavior. I might give them a look or just let them know that I was mad. And that's not right. Don't do that. Jesus doesn't do that to us. He doesn't shame us and make us feel bad about ourselves. He doesn't guilt us. He doesn't use fear to manipulate. He doesn't shame, fear, and guilt us into doing what he wants. Those are all tactics of the devil. And I don't want to use those tactics when I'm trying to discipline my, my kids. There was a Sunday morning just recently. I was coming and ready to we had worship practice. And one of my boys was going to come with me that morning. And he wasn't ready. And he was at the table. He was eating his breakfast. And I don't remember what I said. I was on my way out the door, and I said something. I didn't think it was bad, but I remember his response. Because he was sitting at the table, and all of a sudden, he just went like that. And I knew in that moment, I just shamed my kid. And I, that's not, that's not cool. I don't want to do that. And so it's another one of these moments, kind of on my face, Okay, I didn't handle that right, but this is what I expect. The way that we parent, the way that we discipline is we want to be like Jesus. Jesus invited us into relationship always, right? He never pushed us away. He never shamed us. He invited us into relationship, and he often, he challenges us to do something different, to change in a very loving way. So don't lose their hearts. We want to keep their hearts. Relationship is more important than the immediate incident, right? And through this, share your heart with them. Share your heart with them. We can be really good at talking about all the exterior things, but when we 
tell them how much we love them, when we tell them how, much, how proud of them we are, when we tell them how we want God's best for them and we want them to do and just be all that God meant for them to be, like that, that connects. When they talk or when they do something, listen. Listen. So that they're going to learn to trust you. So here, here's an example. Say, for example, my kid says, I don't believe in God. That hurts, right? That is painful. And our immediate inclination might be to freak out and then, oh my gosh, you what? And just kind of go nuts. Don't do that. Don't, you could do that on the inside. But be very calm on the outside, all right? It's not a time to panic. And then these are natural things that kids will ask that they're going to go through. But let me break this down into just three different things that that could mean when they say, I don't believe in God, and there's more. One might be what they're really trying to say, if you want to dig down into that, is that I just learned about evolution, and it doesn't seem to mesh up with Christianity. I don't know how to, how to get the two to mix. Help me understand, right? And that's very different. Another reason might be that these kids at school are telling me, or they're making fun of me because I believe in God, and I don't want to be picked on anymore. That's another very different thing that needs to be handled differently. Or if you guys have a relationship that isn't so good, they might know that that hurts you, and they're just trying to hurt because you, they were hurt by you. So sometimes a surface-level thing isn't always the thing. It's something that goes much deeper. And we've got to listen. We've got to be attentive. We've got to be careful not to jump to conclusions, but really dig into their heart and find out what's going on and be open enough so that they can trust us to share with us. We want to fight for connection. Fight for connection in everything. Relationships are important. They matter to God, and we want to fight for that. Okay? So here's two basic things we learned today, not about that it's all about learning, but God instructs us to train our children, right? He instructs us to train our children. It's not optional, it is required. We are expected to train our children. And two, discipline is necessary for great parenting. It's necessary for great parenting. Discipline is correction driven by love. We want to have the same love that Jesus has for us. He invites us into a relationship, and he challenges us to respond. It's not driven by shame, guilt, and fear. And in this, we don't want to lose their heart. Always look for the long-term relationship. Always. You know, I was thinking before we started this message, just thinking, and this is like a message that is directed to parents in a lot of ways. And like, what are other people going to get from this? And I kind of struggle with that. But you know, God uses things like this to, to pull up some different stuff. And maybe some of you are parents and you're kind of looking at your life and just kind of evaluating how you've done. And maybe there's an area where God is kind of pointing at you. But you know, some of us, when I look out, I recognize that we are from all different kinds of backgrounds and environments. Some of us are in mixed families. Some of us are single moms or single dads. Um, some of us were abused when, when we were kids, and we don't know a healthy picture of God's love for us. And maybe this is just a time where God wants you to know how great his love is and how much he wants to invite you into a relationship with him. And I don't know. But I, last week we talked about not being so fixated on knowledge, not being so fixated on information. We're trying to pick up and learn everything. 
but where, when maybe we hear a message or something happens, we might sense a little bit of emotion, maybe something hurts, maybe it stings, or maybe there's sadness or something. But God wants to speak into those. He wants to speak into those moments, and he's trying to get your attention. And when we allow ourselves to listen for what he's trying to do, what he's trying to work in our hearts, and just be attentive to what he wants to do, we can respond to him. And it's not about learning, it's not about getting more information, but it's about responding to God. And so as we talk, listen to a message like this, we could have all kinds of different reactions to this, where God is trying to put, he's trying to point to this, and he wants to heal you because uh, of how you were raised up, or maybe he wants to show you a better way to love because you're not loving in the way that he does. I, I don't know. But I think it's good just because once we get out these doors, things can get so busy. And even though we have the best of intentions, we don't often make the time just to, to wait a little bit. So I'm going to do this again this week. And just listen to God. Maybe he wants to affirm you. Maybe he wants to show his love for you. He wants to do a work in your heart. So let's just take 30 seconds a minute and just kind of let God do what he wants to do. And I'm going to pray. And we'll get out of here in a little bit. Father, you are so good, and your love is perfect. You are the perfect parent and example, example that we see in the life of Jesus. Thank you for giving us a model. Thank you for demonstrating your love through Jesus. Lord, there are all different kinds of people. Lord, you've made us all different, different backgrounds, different hurts, different tendencies, struggling with different things, God. And I pray that in each situation, whether we're a single mom or single dad and trying to figure out how we're going to do this life well, how we're going to keep our sanity. It's about keeping our sanity. We're just trying to live from day to day. And it's hard to even think about the future and trying to train up our kids. We're in blended families and we come from different backgrounds. And it's just a struggle. Or maybe we're just taught, maybe we weren't given an example of love when we were growing up and we don't really know what that looks like. But Lord, I pray that you would meet us where we're at and help us through. Let us know your great love for us, knowing that it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. You don't shame or guilt us, and we want to love in that same way. So God, whatever you are doing right now, I pray that you would continue 
uh, to just pull things up, allow us to hear what you want to say to us, what you want to speak into our hearts, not just trying to fix the situation, but allowing you to speak into our hearts and change the way that we think and transform us by the power of Jesus. Your will be done in our hearts, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.